Welcome back to the No Gray Areas podcast. This week's guest is an amazing individual. I was working with her about a decade and a half ago. Back then when I worked with her, her face was kind of blurred out and she was part of an undercover sting, which I hope makes you want to listen to this podcast. Join us now. Christy, welcome to the No Gray Areas podcast. So good to have you on here. We've known each other since 2007, 2008, Something right? Like we were that, just yeah. talking about that. So we're going back a little bit, and yeah. it means that you and I are just getting a little older. And, I know. But that's, I mean, when I think that's over almost a decade and a half ago. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. I think in such a long time, you're still going to learn a lot about me today. Yeah, good. I can't, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, for the listeners, we actually first met because in 2007, I was in a meeting with community leaders and we were talking about what are some of the big issues in Phoenix. And the vice mayor at that time came in and she had tears in her eyes and she started talking about an issue that I, and like most Americans at that time, I, there's been plenty of information out mm -hmm. since then, but at the time, most of us were like, I didn't know this happened in our own country because she started saying with tears in her eyes that she was called by the vice squad in Phoenix and they had just rescued a 16 year old girl. I think she was 16, yep. wasn't she? That was yep. the dog crate case. Uh -huh. And um, I was just sitting there going, what? Right. Like Thailand or the Philippines. Yeah. Or, but That's what most everybody yeah, thought. Yeah. So that launched us on a journey and a quest. And you and I were part of this journey for quite a while. You were actually wearing a lot longer than I was. But we made a documentary, and that's where I met you in yes. our documentary. I can't believe that you're, the vice squad you were on allowed us to come in and shoot that. I couldn't either. And I was so thankful because especially now I look back and I think because, like you said, nobody nobody thought about it as being in the United States. And, and um, people don't just listen to us very often yeah, <laughs> as yeah. the police. And, um, and so it was great to um, be in partnership with that and really start to get that that word out there and yeah. and and really Phoenix in general was ha, was has been from the get go on the forefront of yeah. of the anti trafficking movement and I really I oh it I believe it it started with that and yeah. so I think that's yeah. super awesome oh it was amazing because yeah. we we actually had people coming in from around the country and even around the world mm -hmm. because there was this multi sector collaboration we had the FBI and the police mm -hmm. and the government officials Which and ASU and churches and all these different sectors of society working together. It was amazing. It wasn't was. It? it was really yeah. amazing. And yeah. that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. But you guys were the tip of the spear on it. So let me let me back up sure. a little bit. So again, they've the audience has heard a little bit. Obviously you were a police officer with the Vice Squad. So let's back up. I just learned you're actually from Kansas City. That's I where you from, grew up. Yes. Um so I grew up in Kansas City and um I left there uh, right when I turned 18, like right when I turned 18. Yeah. As soon as I graduated high school, I said, I'm out of here. Now, it's funny, I, you know, when you grow up somewhere, you're like, I'm out. And yeah. then now I love it there. And I'm home. like, yeah. it's home. I go back often. My, my mother yep. still lives there. I actually just spent the last, um, I just got back in town. I was there for almost six weeks um, visiting family and working from there and working out of my mom's basement. Um, so but, side question yeah. for you, have you been to a Chiefs home game? Oh, m uh, every year. Really? Yeah. I've and my brother. It's amazing yeah. like how loud it, it is. It and... is. You will never experience anything yeah. Yeah. like it. Um, my brother lives in Chicago and he actually has season tickets still to the, Are you <laughs> to the Chiefs and he flies in. He flies uh, in yeah. The... Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I don't 
I don't make the kind of money that my little brother does to have season tickets to the Chiefs. But the city is an amazing city and I love it there. So did you come to Phoenix from there? No, um, (laughs) I moved around a lot in college. Um, I was trying to find myself. Um, So I I started, right, right. that's kind of what college is all about, right? So I, I originally thought I wanted to be an architect. That was my life's work and goal. And so I got okay, into... Okay, so, so just... Yeah. This, that's so interesting yeah. because I knew you from the days you were a cop. Right. And the Christie I know I can't imagine is an architect. It, it didn't last long. Had, had, you, <laughs> had you wanted to be an architect since you were like a little girl? Or no. Was that a high school in thing high or? school, I took some drafting classes yeah. and I started getting really interested in that. And and so that's just where what I thought... I wanted to do. And so I worked really hard to get into this. Um, Kansas State University had a really great architecture program. And, um, you know, so I got my eyes focused on that. And I got into that program and I went there and it quickly one semester. And I was like, "Mm, no, this is not for me because uh, you, you sit in this like cubicle and you have to redo drawings over and over you know like you're constantly tweaking these little things and I about lost my mind I'm too much of a people person yeah and so I did a little deep soul searching at the ripe age of 18 and and (laughs) said I think I'm going to be a psychology major and my mom about lost her mind because in her mind you know I was an architect I was going to be a very successful architect and psychology what are you going to do with that and I'm like I have no idea but this is not for me. So um, I switched majors and uh, started on psychology. Um, but I was at K-State, which is near a military base. Mm. Uh, I was an ROTC. Okay. I was an Army ROTC at a scholarship. And um, that's how I was paying for my school and, yeah. and all of that stuff. So I met a boy. I was a boy chaser for mm. a bit when okay. I was young. Um and yeah, so uh, I met a boy that was in the army, and so he got out of the army and wanted to go back home to Texas. Actually, sounds like a song title, I right? Met a boy in the army, <laughs> yeah. in the army. Yeah. so I followed him to Texas, um, okay. and I switched schools because I wanted to. Where in Texas? Uh, Houston. Okay. So I changed schools, and I went to the University of Houston. Yeah. So I continued on with my ROTC, and I continued on with my psychology Still a psych major. Okay. Yep, and uh, did that for a couple of years there and it was a very different environment living in houston Um, i hated it it was humid um (laughs) i I liked the warmth but i hated the humidity and um i it was but it was very different environment i didn't really like it um we broke up i met a new boy followed him to cincinnati (laughs) kentucky area in the country right exactly (laughs) so i i was kind of in this mode of I'm going to get my degree and I'm going to stick with what I'm going to do. But in the meantime, I just I'll go anywhere because I was just open to trying new things. And my poor my poor mother, (laughs) I was giving her a heart attack along the way. Are you still a psych major? though? I was still a psych major. I was still in ROTC. I was I was staying sticking with my goals, but I was um, still just uh, whatever following whatever and so i ended up in like the north i went to northern kentucky university um but they did not have an rotc programs which is right on the border of um since it's in cincinnati like right on the border of ohio kentucky so i went to xavier university for all my rotc classes and so i ended up graduating from northern kentucky and i got my 
military commission from Xavier. Okay. So I actually went to like what four or five different colleges by the time I was all said yeah. and done. But I yeah. it, it took me five years instead of four because I kept you know losing a little credits yeah. as I yeah. was moving around. But um, I eventually graduated and I got my commission. Um, but back then you had the ability to choose if you want to do reserves or active duty with the with the scholarship and I chose to do reserves because I was ready to mm-hmm. go you want to just do a career and, yeah right but I still didn't really know what I wanted to do um, and so I got a job at the local jail as a behavioral health therapist in the jail in the county jail and so I was basically um, counseling criminals in Your jail. Your mom's really excited now yeah, that she, she was away from really loving it, really <laughs> yes. loving yeah. it. Um, she was just shaking her head at me every day. But that was probably my first introduction because at first I thought I wanted to be a child psychologist. Mm. And then, but during school, I did like an internship with a child psychologist and I was like, mm, no, thanks. No, thank you. Yeah. I wasn't quite, I wasn't quite ready for that. Um, but the, the criminal element was interesting to me. And why, why is that? I don't what? know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but as soon as I started working in it, it just clicked. Knew, it just knew. it just clicked. Um, which I guess that's to me. That's why I keep telling our kids that that's what it's. That's what college is about. Yeah. That's what that yeah. your your early twenties is. Yeah. Just keep trying new things yeah. until you find what clicks for you. You're not you're not gonna know. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm like another, you're gonna. Another side issue, isn't it? Sad. I think so often in our culture we almost expect like that 16 year old, 17 year old or do? their senior in high school. What are you going to do? Yeah. Like, like an 18 year old knows what they're going to do with the rest right. of their life. So, right. so many, I think say, I'm going to do this, but deep down they're like, I, yeah. And, and I hate that. Like the young kids right now, I think they feel like a failure if they like change their major or they don't stick yep. with it. I'm like, no, that's what yep. you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. You're being successful actually. And continuing to, yeah. if you fail, you're being successful at that age because yep. that's, you're learning that that wasn't the right thing for you. Keep going. Yeah, you know, as long what 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 makes you fail is if you stop, keep going. Yep. If you stop, keep going. That doesn't yeah. that doesn't quite. I don't know. Anyway, we might, we might, you know what I mean. We might title this podcast. <laughs> stop. Stop. Keep, keep going. Stop. Keep going. <laughs> so anyway, I I did that for a little bit, and um, and then I just the cold in Cincinnati. I was just like, mm, where can I go that it's warm again, but not so humid? And I just started. That, you know, AOL was big back then and I was getting on the internet and kind of playing around and I'm yeah. like, let's try Arizona. And so I looked out here for jobs and um, there was an opening for a probation officer um, out here and I thought, well, that sounds kind of interesting. So I hopped down a plane and came out here and applied for a job and got it and I've Got I had a little Dodge Neon um, at the time, and so I went back in the middle of winter. <laughs> it snowed. I could hardly get my car out. I had a little U-Haul that I hooked on the back of my Dodge Neon in, a fe- in February, and I drove from Cincinnati to Phoenix, and by the time I got to Phoenix, I pretty much dropped the transmission out of my car, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. I, but I got here. And if you were running from the cold, I bet you loved... I did. And in February, February. it was wonderful. I was in heaven. Yeah. 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 And then my first summer, I was like, what did I do? do? (laughs) What did I do? But I wanted to run back to Houston. I know. Yeah, I know. But I figured it out. So I was a probation officer for um, a few years. And I, while I was a probation officer, I um, was um, supervising sex offenders. 
Yeah. And um, that was super interesting to me. I would I got to sit in with on some counseling sessions with their their groups. Yeah. Which was really yeah. intriguing. You know, from a psychology major, mm-hmm. that was really intriguing for me. So, so it's my my the the criminal part and the psychology yeah, part started it started overlapping. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And while I was a probation officer, I worked very closely with the police department. I started working with a couple of squads in South Phoenix um, pretty regularly when I would have people that had warrants that needed to be picked up. They were like, well, you want to come with us like once a month and we'll do a roundup and round up all your people that have warrants. And so mm-hmm. so I would go ride with them and um, it was a lot of fun. And at the time when I was a probation officer, I would go out and do visits with people. But back then, probation officers, you drove your own vehicle um, you didn't, they didn't wear vests. They didn't have weapons. I had a, a block radio and <laughs> by myself and I'd go out and I'd in your Dodge neon in my Dodge neon. <laughs> yes. And, and I would, I would be like yeah. visiting these people at their homes unexpected oh, and you'd catch them doing, I mean, and they, yeah. it's really dangerous. It was really dangerous. It was, I imagine. And so I started doing stuff with the police department. I'm like, that's a lot safer of a job yeah. than this. Yeah. And they were kind of recruiting me. They're like, you should come apply for the police department, which never in my life, I hadn't really thought about being a police officer, but I was like, okay. (laughs) So fast forward. Here I am. Last, last year. Was Uh it last year? Last last December. My wife and I were invited. Thank you very much to your retirement. So you decided to be a police officer and was it 21 years that you put in? Uh, Yeah. Almost 22. Started in uh, 2000. Yeah. 22 years. And clearly it's your retirement celebration. You were very, very, very respected by the police department, by the people you worked with. You had people that were coming back and and speaking that had worked with you years before, people that had worked with you toward the end. Yeah, great, great people. Well, this is where we met. So so you become a police officer. How long were before you joined the vice, uh, vice squad? So I joined, I started in 2000 and I was on the street for five years. I joined vice in 2005. Okay. So I did the street yeah. stuff for, for a little while. And as a patrol officer, you could go do some undercover yeah. stuff and just kind of help out. And I was like, oh, that seems interesting. Because, again, it was starting to collide my my psychology <laughs> part, you know. You know how many times I've heard you already say, <laughs> say collide. you started doing something <laughs> say, because, well, that seems interesting. Yeah, that seems so interesting. You have an adventure streak <laughs> I do, sure. I do. Yeah. I'll try that. <laughs> well, so, so you just decide that sounds interesting. Why don't I go do that? Right. For, and then. And it became my calling. It, oh, man, I had it no did. idea. I had no idea. And it was it was my first year there um, that the 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 child that was in the cage that was mm-hmm. in the kennel um, was found, and that was like the first. But honestly, I didn't do that case. I was on a different case around the same time that got a lot of media attention. Um, but I right around the same time, I had my first case with this fifteen year old girl. And she just, um, she, she, she wasn't, um, she wasn't in like, um, a group home. She was, she had been home with her family. She got coerced into it. Um, I, I, I can't even remember now how she met the guy. Um, cause online things weren't big back then. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember. I mean, I think it was at a bus stop yeah. or something. You work so many um, cases. I yeah, imagine. I know. Um, but I can't remember how she met him originally, but, I remember talking with her and walking away um, thinking, you know, I mean, she just was a, a, a pretty smart, pretty confident mm-hmm. young lady that really got duped and um, and then got stuck. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just think I just remember thinking to myself, 
that could have been me. I, mm. I could have been that at 15. Mm. I could see how that could have, I could have fallen for that. And yeah. it really hit me. Yeah. And, um, and it just became my like mission to help figure this out. And that you was know? your first year. It was, that was that, my first that year. That was your first year, first case, basically. Mm-hmm. My first, my first, like where I wasn't just helping out was like my first case. It was my case. Yeah. And I, I still remember her name. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting cause I still keep in contact even from people that I met. I mean, way back then, mm-hmm. like I still try to follow up with some of those girls. Mm-hmm. Some of them want to stay in contact and, and some of them don't, which I understand as well because yeah. it's sometimes it's a positive experience and sometimes it's not. So That was what was the amazing part when I worked with you those years in this it, with this issue is you you do have it was such an interesting combination that you had or a blend that you had where you you were, you know, you were supporting the law and you're trying to arrest the Johns and the pimps and the, and the, the, the girls that are involved in this. But then there was this compassionate side too. And now I'm hearing where you're saying it came from mm-hmm. where you realize this 15 year old, this first case you took, you're like, that, that could have been me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, every one of these girls, um, and I say girls, it's boys too. Um, yeah. but for the majority of my career and the majority of, of the, the victims that I dealt with were young women or, or, or children. And it's unfortunate because I think a lot of the boys and young men are just too afraid. Mm-hmm. Everybody's afraid to speak, but mm-hmm. there, there's an extra layer there yeah. of things that, of yeah. why they don't report. And it's, I'm hoping now, I mean, that was, you know, years ago when this was all first starting, I'm hoping that things are better now and that they're reporting more now. Um, I'm hoping things are different. I know I haven't been in the trafficking world for a little while, but um, uh, every single person has a, a story and a, and a reason that they ended up there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, they're all worth listening to. Man, that's so powerful what you just said. They're all worth listening to because you've heard far more stories than, than I did. But even the stories I heard. So when we were making the documentary with your team, and I don't know if you remember that night where we were in your mom minivan, oh, your yeah. undercover mom yeah. minivan. I loved my minivans. I went through like four different minivans. I loved yeah. having minivans. So so it was a sting operation where where right we were arresting in this in this case it was the the girls. I mm-hmm. know you guys did all kinds of stuff. Sometimes the Johns mm-hmm. were obviously going after the pimps mainly. But that night you allowed us if the girls were willing to for us to go interview. And I'll never forget, it was one of the moments for me, your 15-year-old first case. This was kind of my first case. And um, the beautiful young woman, and she'd been arrested. And we went in and we asked her, you know, were you underage when you were first turned out? And she said, no, I was 21. It was my boyfriend and I. Mm-hmm. But it was almost like a, the, a, the, the switch flipped for her because in that in that conversation, she said, well, I mean, actually, when I was 13 or 14, I don't remember the exact age, my mom would send people down the hallway to my room to support her drug habit. Yeah. And it was like, this was this woman in her She was 20s. turned out. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's for the first time realizing that her first pimp was her mom. Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. 13 or 14 years old. And, you know, so when you say every story, every, every, every survivor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. has has a story worth listening to. Yep. Some it t- sometimes they don't see themselves as victims. Mm-hmm. At, well, most times and it takes a while. They have to go through their own process just like we all have to go through our own process, right? Yeah. They have to go through their own process of even seeing themselves as a victim um, and then how to see themselves as a survivor and not as a victim anymore yeah. and, and go. But you, you'll never see yourself as a survivor if you don't first see yourself as a victim. You know, like you have to 
acknowledge that, you know, and kind now, of move through that. that. Again, though, you can't, you, you almost didn't finish that sentence, yeah. but that's no, but such you, a, yeah, you, you don't, don't see yourself a survivor. If you never see yourself as a victim, you have mm. to, you have to acknowledge because people want to be so strong all the time and always put up this front all the time. And if you don't ever acknowledge that, yeah, you know, like this happened to me and I came out of it stronger and better and whatever, you know, you have to, we all have things that, you know, well, and that's why that's so good. Sometimes because... it's things that happen to us and sometimes we, we make bad choices and yeah. then things happen, you know, but it, there's still bad things. There's still bad things. I mean, yeah. I'm not real thrilled that I chased boys around the country, yeah. you know, but I learned a lot mm -hmm. and it got me to where I am. And, yeah. you know, you have to try to take the good with the bad and yeah. keep moving forward. And going way back to your psychology classes, though. Right. I think there's a life lesson there for all of our listeners, though, listeners, though because there's probably a few of our listeners that have maybe been trafficked. But there's there's like you said, there's something where we can go back and go. I there I was victimized. We live in a broken world. Right. I don't know. You know, who knows what it was, but there was something that was done to you that was probably wrong and hurtful and that you have to go back and admit that was wrong and hurtful. I got to deal with it. Right. right? That's what right. you're saying. Yeah. You can't just cover it up because then you'll never move forward. You yeah. don't become stronger and move forward if you just cover it up. Yeah. My, I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to come back to some of this in uh -huh. a moment, but let me just jump into this because this was you, we, when we were working with you guys, I mean, you, I could, I couldn't quit bragging about you. We made this <laughs> documentary and we, we ended up showing it like all over the country in some ways. And then as you know, all over our city, sometimes to 20 people, sometimes to hundreds of people. Um, and so, I mean, we had a survivor that was there and then you and other vice officers would come and speak often. And it was just amazing. But I got to brag on that vice squad again. At that time, there was something unique about the Phoenix vice squad mm -hmm. compared to any other vice squad in the country, really. What yeah. was that? It, it still is this way. I think that um, we have been very lucky to have had the right people. You know, we just, yeah. we, we, people, you, we happen to get a good group of people that work together that cared, that really deeply cared, the men and the women. You know, sometimes like, oh, it has to be a female. No, it didn't. You have to have – it's a team effort, and and the men and the women equally really cared um, and really wanted to help the victims. And it, our shift was about – not about arresting the girls, not about our numbers, not about arresting the Johns, about arresting the pimps. It was about how do we help the victims? Mm. That was our focus. And it was a group focus and, and from our leaders and everything. Was um, it that way when you came in, though? Because that's... No. No. Yeah, because that's, that's, no. that's really massive. There was a few new people that all came in at the same time. And we just... And then that a couple of cases hit that just... It just... I don't know. We just had a good new group a new fresh group that just clicked and it just happened um and and then after that we were very sensitive and very careful about who we let in <laughs> you know for hiring like when if someone left if someone that. retired you know if we weren't getting if we got bodies if we got like the approved to get new positions we were very selective of who we let come in because they had to have that same mindset or they yeah. weren't they yeah. weren't a good fit and yeah. that was 
um, a, a big important thing to keep it going. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why we've been so successful here in Phoenix. And there was, I mean, the, we could we could spend a long time talking about all the different little things that you your team would do that displays the truth of what you're saying, where it was really not just about arresting them, arresting them, arresting them, or trying to get them off the street, but it was about just supporting the victims mm -hmm. of this. One of the little things that we would do early on is uh, you all would tell us when there was a survivor slash victim who was actually in court testifying against her mm -hmm. pimp, which is very, very hard for them to do. Right. And one of the little simple things we would do then is just get a group to come down there and support them right. so they knew I don't know who these faces are behind me, but there's a group behind me us. supporting. And that was that was what your vice squad did. It was right. that's it was abnormal. So, yeah. Just partnerships, just creating a lot of partnerships in the community um, because this is definitely a community issue. Yeah. Um, and, and as a police department, we don't have the resources to the to be able to help victims the, the, the way they need it. Mm -hmm. Um, we just didn't. And, mm -hmm. um, I don't think any police department does. I mean, we're a huge city and mm -hmm. we didn't. So, um, I mean, like you said, so now there's groups, I, I mean, I had a trial a couple of years ago, um, or I, well, I was part of a trial. It wasn't my trial. Well, we're kind of a co-case agent, but, um, that there's a group now, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like a biker group that supports victims of trafficking. Are you familiar with mm -hmm. this group? Oh yeah, yep. I think I yep. saw you at one of the yep. Uh, yep. one of the fundraisers. Um, but they're fantastic because they they're it's all for a great cause, but they're very intimidating looking, and they all show up for these victims, and it's fantastic. Yeah. I love yes. it because I think it just empowers the girls. Yeah, you know, it empowers the victims to be like, yeah, they're all here for me. Yeah. You know, I, I feel safer in this courtroom. You know, to testify, and it's yep. awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, having people there just to surround them um, is is huge. And 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 you know the the churches and um, you know we worked with um, churches that did you know Bethany Bible did yep. fundraisers all the, uh, all the free to laugh comedy thing the comedy yes, it was show such, it, was it was such a great concept our friend Brad yes brilliant Brad's idea awesome, brilliant idea awesome and we partnered with ASU and with um, and with the city and with all the different resources. And we did this thing called Project Rose for many, many years where um, we would uh, have all the resources in one building and the city of Phoenix prosecutors would come in and have a table and then we would have like health services and we would have clothing and we had food and everything. And we would go out and we'd arrest the girls while they're working, but we would bring them in there Wow. And instead of going to jail, they would get all of these services and then yeah. they would see the city attorney yeah. and basically kind of give them like a pre-diversion kind of thing. Like, hey, if you take us up on some help and some services in lieu of, yeah. you know, because we, we knew these girls aren't, you know, nobody is. I, I, I always say when I'm, you know, being interviewed or talking or talking to groups like. When people are kids or people are young, you know, like, I'm going to be an architect when I grow up. Nobody's like, I think I'm going to go out and prostitute when I yeah. grow up. That's just not yeah. what people, that's, it happens because of circumstances. Yeah. And, um, and there's a reason. Yeah. And let's help yeah. get them out. The time that I worked with you, I took a lot of things from you during that time. But that was one of them. Mm -hmm. That's one of the ways I explain to people. Um, because, because when they go meet some of these girls, if, if they get an opportunity to, and they meet some of these girls, they don't talk or act like victims. Yeah. Like it confuses people. Right. They're like, wait, wait, wait. 
um, I was thinking that these girls were all going to be like running for help and open arms. And so it's, it's, it's a little messy for them right. to understand. But what helps them is to go listen. No six-year-old girl sat on the edge of her bed. Or as you say, little boys sometimes yeah. too. Sat on the edge of the bed and said, you know what I want to have when I'm 18? I want to be selling my body. Right. Is to it customer after customer, night after night. After right. night. No one. What, no pe one. what people are seeing is their defense mechanism. It's what That's what people are seeing. It's their hard shell of, oh, yeah, I, I want to do it. I'm doing it. You know, I, I, well, I love them. It's my choice. You know, they do that. That's, that's them trying to convince themselves mm. because, like we said at the beginning, they don't see themselves as a victim. People don't want to. In general, people don't want to say, oh, I'm a victim. Like that mm -hmm. nobody wants to say that they're a victim of something. And so that is their own self-preservation. Um, you know, they're not there yet. They yeah. haven't gotten to yeah. the point where they see themselves as a victim. And so, of course, they don't see themselves as a victim. Then they're not going to project that yeah. out to people. Yeah. Um, and that's what we had to understand to just ignore that because <laughs> that we knew that that was not real yeah. and get past that. But Christy, that's what made your team so amazing that you were part of because you were, you were upholding the law. That's part of your job. Right. As a police officer, they were doing illegal things. We would get so them you're off upholding the, the law. You get them off the street, but then, but that's not where you stop. And right. that's where a lot of times the story ends. Right. It was, but with your team, it goes, but there's something bigger, deeper, right more sinister and dark that's happening right and we can't ignore that and you all didn't ignore right. that and that's where this multi-sector collaboration came right. from and it was just a, it was it's kind of the why behind why are you there yeah what's the what's yeah. the reason behind yeah. it well that's why this fits so well with this podcast so we we talk about no gray areas and mm -hmm. as you know it's tied to this movie that's being made and to, to some guys that years ago made a mistake um and it's a cautionary tale. You right. know, our choices follow us. And mm -hmm. so they both are felons now. They lost careers over this. But there's also this redemptive side of the story where it wasn't the end of their story. They did their prison time. They did their, and that's not the end of their life. Mm -hmm. I mean, here they are 20 some years later. They're both writing books now. They both speak to youth and they're trying to, youth to help youth to understand this. But from what you dealt with, I think it's great for our listeners to unpack a little bit where it's sometimes easy for us to go, well, it's your choice. You know, you you choose whether you're going to do this or not going to do this. That's true. Right. There's a little, it's a little more nuanced. So sometimes right. people will look at one of these girls and go, well, they made the choice at 16 or 15 to sell right. themselves. Right. Speak into that a little bit where okay. that's not completely true. That's a whole lot to unpack. But, I know. But yes. Okay. So yes. And a lot of 15 and 16 year olds choose to have sex with a boyfriend or girlfriend the first time because they mm -hmm. think they love them and get pregnant mm -hmm. or a lot of. 15 and 16 year olds make choices to do drugs or drink alcohol or mm -hmm. I mean we we all make choices that mm -hmm. maybe we wish we wouldn't have or we thought we were making a good choice or depending on what happened before that in our youth mm -hmm. um, we may know better or not know better or we're rebelling against our parents or our family um, there's there's a lot of reasons why we make our choices yeah um, and um, again, I go back to the that could have been me thing. You know, I I think part of the reason I was chasing boys around is I didn't have a great relationship with my dad growing up. And mm -hmm. um, I think at that age, um, I was, all, you know, and I'm I'm a I'm the oldest child. Mm -hmm. I'm a very independent person. And I was all about charging the way and showing everybody I could take care of business and do, you know, and so at 15, I thought I knew everything. And I'm pretty sure every listener knows that has a 
teenage kid that knows that their 15 <laughs> yes. or 16 year old thinks yeah. that they know everything yep. and yep. has nothing to listen to about their parents. Um, that's pretty typical. So teenagers do make bad decisions. Um, and they are their choices to a degree. Mm -hmm. um, but if you've got someone manipulating you mm -hmm. and feeding you information and putting ideas in your head, those choices become a little less your choices. Mm -hmm. Like I, it's full on if I just decide I'm gonna go and get a fake ID and go buy alcohol and drink it, that might fully be my choice or it could be peer pressure from my friends. Mm -hmm. But if I've got someone in my ear when I don't have maybe a good relationship at home telling me, mm -hmm. or I live so poorly that I have no money and I've got someone in my ear telling me, come stay with me. I can help you make some money. We can go buy a Gucci bag, which everybody sees in every video that needs, you know, like whatever, whatever, what, what they do is they start talking to people, whether you're a teenager or, or a young person, and they find out what your currency is. What what is important to you? Mm -hmm. And then they come in with that and say, I can offer you that. Master manipulators. Master, yeah, master yeah. manipulators. And so if it's things mm -hmm. or money, which for a lot of young people it is, if it's love, mm -hmm. which for a lot of young people it is, mm -hmm. um, they're going to come in with that tool and they're going to pull them away. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to use that to convince them that they have to do this. And that's usually baby steps. It's usually, um, it's not like, oh, you're just going to go prostitute. It's if you love me, oh, I set up this date. If you, but it, you just, you don't have to have sex with them. Mm -hmm. You just, if you love me, we, I need to pay my bills. I have a car payment. I need yep. this. You just, just have to dance for them. Yep. Just go on a date with them or you just have yep. to dance for them. Yep. You just look pretty. You don't have to do anything. But as soon as they get them in the hotel room or you get them alone, they know what's expected. They know what's going to happen. And then as soon as that happens one time, that person that has been victimized and feels complete shame and feels horrible because they know they made the choice, mm -hmm. you know, like we say, their choice. They made it, they made them feel like it was their choice. Yep. And now they don't want to tell and then anybody. They play that choice against them, right. don't they? And yeah. they're embarrassed and they're shameful. Yep. It's a very manipulative game. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. And they will probably continue to feel like it was their choice for a very, very long time. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't go and tell family and friends and ask for help because yep. they felt, well, I chose this. Yep. I got there on my own and I don't know how to get out. Yeah. And I think when you back up even more, I mean, I, I know this isn't probably across the board, but I never had one conversation with one girl that was rescued out of the situation that didn't go back to having abuse in our life too. Yep. So that's where you even mm -hmm. talk about more. So I don't know if it's, I'm sure it's a very, very, very high percentage. If not a hundred percent, it's gotta be close to it where you back up and there were things done to this little girl or this little boy where again, you go, well, they made a choice. Right. They did, but there's a lot of manipulation and brainwashing and brokenness that, mm -hmm. that move them toward that choice. Whether it's mental abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. And if they're coming from a home that has any of those things, um, that makes it even easier for them to pull them away. And because yeah. and, and, you know, people want to people don't so often go towards things. They're leaving something yeah. and they're, you know, so they don't necessarily know what they're going towards they're just they're knowing just that they're just trying something. to get away from what yeah. they're what yeah. they're at so 
Wow. Um, it's it's a it it's a um, extremely powerful manipulative emotional game that mm-hmm. is takes a really long time to undo. How long did you work with the Vice Squad then? Almost fifteen years. So fifteen of your twenty one was with the Vice Squad. Yes, wow. I know. And you got, I know you wouldn't brag about this, but I'll brag on you for a moment. <laughs> you got all kinds of awards from a federal level down to did. a state level, city level. Yeah. What were some of those? I don't even know. I, honestly, I don't pay, I like I have some plaques yeah. and some, yeah. but I, the, this is going to sound cheesy, but I, the awards, the only awards I ever cared about were the girls. And now I'm seeing, now I'm going to get emotional. That's okay. Um, <laughs> When sometimes it would be like five years later and girls would say, you saved my life. Mm. You know, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. It's, honestly, I don't pay attention to the rest of the stuff. Sorry. Which is, which is <laughs> powerful. Well, Chris, you don't have to apologize for your tears because <laughs> this is what made you such an amazing officer and vice officer is, Again, you were upholding the law, but there was a compassion that you had that you saw this girl that was breaking the law wasn't just a criminal. She was a, a victim and a survivor, and you treated her that way. Yeah. And, and your team did that. Well, it would be so it, funny because most of the time they really hated me. Yeah. <laughs> For like during the whole time they were, you know, they didn't like me, but then they'd turn around, you know, five years later and be yeah. like, I'm doing really good now and thank you, you know. And, and that, that's why you're saying that it was five years sometimes. It generally yeah. wasn't two weeks later. No, no, it no. It took some time. It takes time. It takes yeah. time. Yeah. But I know that's what kept me going because I knew that I was doing the right thing. Yeah. Tell us if you can. I was, I obviously, I'm, you can't use a name. Mm-hmm. But tell us one of the stories. You don't have to be descriptive. But tell us one of the stories that, because I know it was heartbreaking to see how many would go back uh-huh. and how many times it would sometimes go back. But there, there are some good stories, too, oh, the beautiful stories. stories out. So maybe you give us one of those. That um, My favorite stories are, are definitely the ones that, in general, that end up being part of these survivor groups and then being mentors towards the other girls. There's mm-hmm. a lot of those groups now, um, mm-hmm. which I think is extremely helpful and extremely yep. powerful. Um, but I um, have gotten to see young ladies, um, you know, Almost always, they relapse in some some way, um, whether it's prostitution or drugs or something. It takes time, mm-hmm. and um, not almost always, but uh, it really yeah, often. Yeah. Which is true of, 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 of a lot of all, addictions, right? It takes right. a couple of runs at the right. pill. And they've times, and they've yeah. just been. Um, it's heartbreaking for me because when they just start doing really well, I think it scares them mm. because um, they don't know what to do then mm. because they've been so like. And then they kind of go backwards, but eventually they get over that hump, and and it's only with the help of all these these groups and these support groups yeah. and and having that mentorship, um, and but they do it, you know, and the and they, um, you know, I've seen young ladies get their degrees and get nursing degrees, and um, you know, I mean, get out of prison and then go and get you know, a a degree and start a business. And, um, I've, you know, I, I, I partnered with a girl for a while who, um, who I had arrested and put like 27 felonies on. She was, um, a bottom, which I don't know if most people know what that is. They probably don't. So yeah, yeah. it's basically the, um, the, the right hand man of the pimp. Like it's the, 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 the female that helps the pimp the most. And, um, and oftentimes they will get charged with the same 
same charges as the pimp, especially if there's a juvenile involved in this particular mm -hmm. case, there was. Um, and eventually we found, you know, she, she wouldn't talk to us. We were hoping, a lot of times we'll arrest the bottom, knowing that they were good and well a victim as well. But if they don't talk to us, mm -hmm. if they're protecting the pimp, then we can't do anything to help them. But um, she wouldn't talk to us. And so she had signed a plea and she was supposed to be in prison for like 15 years. And then we found out some stuff about why she wasn't talking to us. The, the pimp had taken her child and um, and put it with his family in another state. And mm -hmm. her, so she didn't know where her child was. And so that's why she wasn't talking because she didn't know where her child was. And um, eventually after like they signed pleas and they'd both been in jail for a while and they were, you know, waiting to go to prison the the child had gotten kind of funneled around to different people and this this girl wrote her a letter and said i've got your kid and I, I can't claim it you know i can't get any money for it and i don't want it somebody needs to come get this kid and that's when she found out where her kid was and that's how she found out where her kid was and so then as soon as her family she sent her family to go get this kid in california and bring him back and as soon as she knew she had her kid back then she went to her attorney and said, okay, I'll talk now. But, I mean, she was literally had signed her plea and was getting ready to go to prison. And so the judge allowed me to go talk to her to find out what was going on. I mean, I didn't know any of this. And I heard the whole story. And so I went back to the attorney and I'm like, we got to see if they'll get her out of this plea. Like, this is horrible. All the things that happened I'm to her. I'm just curious. Is that the attorney that we both knew? Oh, well, Do which one? I don't know. We've known so many attorneys. Okay. okay. Well, there was the one. She was a female attorney that worked for Phoenix, and she was another one that was such an advocate for the survivors. But yeah, I'm I don't know. I'm not Go really on. sure. Okay. I don't know because we've had some really good attorneys. All all of our attorneys become judges. They all leave me. So we got her um, plea revoked, and the judge was amazing and basically said, if you go into one of these programs for a year and you successfully complete the program, we'll wipe everything. Instead of having all these mm -hmm. felony charges. Um, and so she did. And she struggled. It was a hard year for her. Um, and especially uh, her kid was from her pimp. He had raped her. And, and so as the kid was getting older, he looked like the pimp. And so, so she was really oh, struggling with oh. that and just trying to you know, get through everything. And um, the, I'll tell you what, these mentor groups, these support groups... I don't know what we would do without them. And um, and so eventually she, her and I um, formed a partnership and we went around and spoke together and educated law enforcement and social work groups and, and things like that. And since then she has gone off and moved out of state and started her own designer business and she's ridiculously successful. She wrote a book and she is doing fantastically and, and um and you know got her kids all together and and um and you know that i i love to see i i think what i see most is that once they get over that hump you know and it's hard it's hard mm -hmm. but once they get over that hump the the girls that i see become um successful are just powerhouses yeah. super successful because they they're so they've been through so much and they're so smart and they're street smart and they're strong and they can just do anything then i'll tell you it's impressive i, I remember talking to one of the survivors that we, we mutually know and she was talking about her lack of education lack of and i said you have an amazing education the street <laughs> education that you got i mean right. the hard times the good times but right. 
it, it was an amazing education mm-hmm. and it's more so than a lot of people got. Right. But what, Christy, what an amazing story, because again, if you could drop in in a few places when you first met this, so she's a, a bottom girl, mm-hmm. um, she's going to face all these felonies, she's not talking. So someone from the outside or in a lot of seats would look and go, her. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's done. Put her away. Throw yeah. away the key. Right. And they, ha- a lot of times, had no idea what she went through. No idea the abuse that she, I mean, you learned some of the abuse right. that she went through and you shared some of that. I mean, raped by her pimp and she right. got a kid from her pimp now. They basically kidnapped her mm-hmm. kid and has happened. Right. All these things that no one would know on the outside, you would just look at this woman and go, you know, criminal. Right. Lock her up, throw away the key. Right. Look what she did to these other girls. Yep. But then even once she starts down that road, um, to become an, uh, a, a, a new person, it's not, it's, it wasn't always easy. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. She struggled a lot. Yeah. And even just trying to get a job, um, because even though her record technically got wiped as far as, I mean, she finished the program, so they didn't, ha- she didn't have all these felonies. I mean, her plea was basically, we'll drop the felonies. But if you Google her name, yeah. she got arrested for 20-some felonies of human trafficking and trafficking of a child and blah, blah, blah. So when she would go to get a job and they would try to do a background check on her, they didn't care that the charges got dropped. They just saw that. Yeah. And I had to – I mean, she would reach out to me and I would advocate for her so she could start getting, like, real jobs, um, you know, just to, to like, help verify that (laughs) – like give this girl a chance kind of thing you know and i i did that a lot um i well, I, I went did. to apartment <laughs> yep. complexes and um when girls advocated would, so they could get a so a they could get an apartment because yeah. they had a felony on their record and they were like no we're not going to give them and this is like, what was incredible you might have been the one that arrested them right <laughs> no. no but if they had a felony you know i'd be like uh, i'd go and i'd like advocate for them and be like look this is why they have felony they this yeah. is what they're doing can you just give them a chance you know and they some places would yeah. uh, you know and i appreciate those people yeah. um that would give yeah. them a chance well of. and that christy that's again this is why we wanted to have you on here because again we talk about the power of choice that we as humans have and you worked with a population that i think it's so important for us to understand it's not just that population there's a lot of there's some listeners who went through some stuff that maybe they've never shared with anybody else. Yep. They've been victimized in a way and they're still wrestling with some of that stuff. They're still trying to work through some of that stuff. And sometimes you just need to have grace for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Some of our listeners just need to have grace yeah. for themselves. And and then I think we just have to be a little more careful when we look at people to not just immediately be so go, judgmental. Yeah, <laughs> look look what they did. Mm-hmm. And go, man, back up. I mean, I when I moved to Chicago to go to school, and I was working in a in a housing project, then, and these kids, you know, I come from rural Montana. I had a kind of a what you might call a middle class upbringing, where I learned, you know, hard work ethic, a lot of the the blue collar type. Right. And then I moved, and I thought to myself when I was working with these little kids growing up in a housing project, I'm like, I wonder how I would have turned out. Right. I don't know that I would have. And again, I'm not I'm not excusing because this is the we we do have to come to the point in right. our lives where we go you take responsibility. No matter what happened, yeah, take responsibility. Right. But it's not as simple as we sometimes make it. Right. 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 And you, the population you work with for so long that's that's part of the story. Well, and that was a a, a delicate balance for me because I was all about helping people, um, but on the flip side of that, um, I I had numerous conversations with young people. Young lady, young ladies, majority, um, and said, "I am not going to help you more than you're helping yourself." Mm-hmm. 
Um, because oftentimes I would be doing a lot of things and then they would just not follow through ever and not follow up or, you know, expect me to every time they needed something that was, they were calling me. And then I was like, "Mm -mm, no, you, you have, you have to help yourself as well. Like this isn't, this is not a one way street, you know? And so you do have, there's, I also grew up in the Midwest and have a, this, you know, like personal responsibility. And um, there's a difference between personal responsibility and judgment. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like. How so? Well, I think you can have, I think people need to have personal responsibility and you should hold people to that. Yep. I think you can hold people to personal responsibility without being judgmental of them. That's good. I, I, th- I think that there's, I think, right. I think yeah. there 100% you can do that. Yep. Um, and our country in general, I don't think, knows how to do that very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we need to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to hold people responsible for their choices and make, and you, you need to, be, that's how you learn and you mm-hmm. make better choices. Um, but you don't have to condemn and judge mm-hmm. people for it. Mm-hmm. Just move on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, okay. You, you did something wrong. You pay your pay your price. And, then, and that's part of being the law and the legal. You know, that's my kind of – I'm all about, like, arrest you and pay your fine and then move on. Yeah. I'm not going to forever hate you because you stole some candy and you had to pay a fine. Whatever. You, yeah. Whatever the cho- – you know, whatever yeah. it is, it's just I'm not I, – I am a believer in you, you pay the price for what you do, but I'm not a believer in – hold you responsible for your whole life and now you're a horrible person because of it yeah. you can't change your life and move yeah. on yeah. Um, because we've all I've made plenty of choices in my life that I'm not yeah. proud of and yeah. wish I wouldn't have you know it but you learn from them and move on that's how you learn and um, I, I I tell my kids all the time and I tell parents when I'm speaking to parents um, and just people that work with um, young people in general I think because people are like well, what can we do you know, and I, I think the biggest thing is for because because there's so much manipulation and people feel like, you know, it's a lot of times it is a choice. So if you want to call it that a choice, like they or they've been they believe it's their choice that they got into this, mm-hmm. um, that no matter what, that they can always get out like they ha- you have to have that door open. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the the shame and the embarrassment of the bad choice mm-hmm. is what keeps people in and it keeps them in longer. Okay, okay, hold on. Mm-hmm. That was so good. The shame and the embarrassment of their choice keeps it because again, we just moved away from just talking about human trafficking mm-hmm. to I think all human beings. Exactly. Right. It keeps you down that bad path. Yeah. At any point, you can change that path. Yeah. If you can just say, uh, uh, "Oops." Yeah. <laughs> Let's back up and start over, yeah. you know, and I think that is the biggest thing um, that I I really, you know, like we try to really stress with with the kids and with young people is like if you, okay, you're going to make bad choices. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want you to, but you're going to. Call us up. We'll give you a ride. Call You know, call, call us up. We'll help you as long as you don't then continue to keep making bad choices. Like mm-hmm. the, the the point is to try to learn from it and change direction and, and, and move, in a, move you, in a different direction. Even you walking with this this particular population, um, you weren't able to help everyone no. because some of them weren't willing to do what they needed to do. Right. But again, I just, you know, to, to wrap things up, Christy, again, I just, you're one of my heroes. And I say that because it's amazing how you worked in an environment where your job was justice 
and to call people for what was right and wrong based on the law. But then you were an advocate. I mean, if there was any word that should go next to your name, <laughs> um, you know, we're all we're all going to be put in the ground someday, right? I hope on your tombstone someday, and I hope that's a long time yeah. from now. But I hope it says Christy the Advocate. Yep. Yeah, you asked the pimps that. They probably wouldn't say the same thing. But <laughs> <laughs> well, well, That's okay with me. <laughs> it's okay with me, too. It's okay with me, too. One quick story as we wrap up, though. I don't know if you remember I was talking earlier about when you would call up and have us uh, tell us, hey, come down to the courtroom mm-hmm. and advocate for – so you – and I won't use the names because I don't know if you still – even for the pimp's name. But there was a pimp that you said he's on trial – and we need some people to come and just support the the victim. And I was like, man, you, you gave me the name of the pimp. And I'm like, his street name. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where did I hear that? Where did I hear that? And it was actually a picture that was part of the documentary we made. Oh, I bet I you I know back. which one it is. Uh, yeah, I bet you do. Mm-hmm. I don't, can we use the name? Sure. Okay, I'm K-Mac. Sure. Right? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And the girl had the tattoo yep. on the back of her, mm-hmm. that property of K-Mac. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is basically a yep. reminder to her that she wasn't her own, but she was owned yep. by that. But. But when we were making the documentary, that picture was one of the pictures that we were using. And then I and don't then, remember. And then, then you were in his later, trial. <laughs> yes. Watching him uh-huh. get put away. Yeah, that case, um, we he had so many victims and all over the country that we split. He I had actually had a state case and a federal case with him because we had victims in so many different yeah. um realms because yeah. of he was just so all over the place he's still in prison so let, let me just i kept saying we're gonna wrap up but nope, this is such okay. a how, how do you how did you take care of yourself during that time because i i crashed hard <laughs> i crashed hard yeah because i was hearing these stories all day every day and you did too you know i pr- i probably didn't take care of myself as good as i should have i went through some ups and downs um eventually i you know i, I wish I wanted to stay there even longer, but eventually I was like, okay, I need to go do something different for mm-hmm. the last. So the last few years of my career, I went and did something different, but um, which is why I've been out for a bit. But, um, you know, I think uh, I have a lot of really good friends and a lot of, um, you know, I, di- I did a lot of things outside of the police department and I tried to maintain a good life that didn't have to didn't identify me as a police officer, yeah. you know, and try to have that balance, trying to, trying to keep balanced. And, yeah. you know, I like music and, yeah. <laughs> you know, do things that were, um, not, not policey. Yeah. So you had hobbies, yeah, people, mm-hmm. individuals, community right. that mm-hmm. were in your life that wasn't connected to this. It yep. was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's helpful. Yeah. Good. Well, Christy, thank you so much again. You are one of my heroes. I'm so glad you, we, we worked for about a year to get you on here. You're busy. I know. I'm busy. But well, that's what happened when you retire. Then you apparently am not available anymore. I, no, well, but, but no. I, I love it. I thank you so, so much. Thank you for, you know, how you spent your life as an advocate and uh, you continue to just have compassion on people, love people. So I love that about you. But we do this thing on, on no gray areas, yes. which is kind of funny because it's ironic, no gray areas, but I'm going to ask you to lie. Okay. So two truths and a lie. Okay. One. Um, I, I once hiked the Swiss Alps, okay. um, in 10 days over a hundred miles. Wow. Okay. Um, I have never had a speeding ticket in my life. Um, and I once tried out for the game show deal or no deal. See, I know you're a good liar because I watched you work undercover. So you were you were lying on the streets, right? You were yeah. So I had a hard time dating because of that. People would be like, um, I think you're just a liar. Yeah, I'm like that's yeah. not very nice. It's part of what you did for your job. Mm-hmm. 
right? You had to convince. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay, man. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the Swiss, Swiss Alps is true. Okay. Yep. Is did that, that true? I did that last August. Okay. Yes. It was amazing. Wow. Okay. It was now beautiful. we're down to a 50-50 chance. Yes. Um, I'm going to say trying out for the game show was true. It was. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. So what was the... The speeding ticket. The speeding ticket. Yes. Now I had plenty of speeding tickets when I was a teenager. I yeah. almost lost my license. <laughs> well, I saw you driving the yeah, undercover minivan too. Yeah, I had lots of speeding too. tickets so when you, I was you... young. The good thing is when you get older and you become a police officer and you have a badge, it's a little easier to get out of speeding tickets. Yeah, yeah. Because exactly. Professional respect. We'll just call it that. <laughs> good. <laughs> well, Christy, courtesy. thank you again. Appreciate it so much. Well, good guess. Thank you. Yes. Thank you yeah. for having me. I really, really appreciate it. This was awesome. Good. So, thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us on today's No Gray Areas podcast. Christy did an amazing job and you, like me, were probably profoundly impacted with her speaking about the nuances of choices. That the truth is, is that all of us as human beings have been victimized before. And so where is it in your life where you truly were victimized by someone or something or someone else's poor choice? But how can you move from being a victim to a survivor like us? Follow us, subscribe to No Gray Areas. We'll see you next time.